It was Christmas Eve 1992. My oldest son was just 18 months old. And it was our first Christmas with a child. Uh, well, second Christmas, actually. But first one where he could really be old enough to, uh, to have some presents. So I went out and I got him all the presents that every 18-month-old should have. Like a bicycle and a baseball glove and a, a subscription to Sports Illustrated and all the things that I could think of. And, and I think my wife says to me, um, Joe, perhaps we should get him something that he could actually play with, you know, something that would be nice for him. And I said, oh, I, I guess you're right. And, and so by now it's probably approaching Christmas Eve. And I made it to the way and, and it occurred to me. I remember what my favorite toy was when I was a child. I had this hobby horse. You remember the kind, the like horse, and it had four springs on the four corners, and you bounce on those things real hard, and, and you could tip them over if you really tried. You, you remember those. I thought he would love one of those things, and that would be great, wouldn't it? And so I went out, and we found one. It was a perfect one. It was in a box and brought it home. We even named him Buster. He had his name, and it, it was great. And, and, um, and we got busy that Christmas Eve day, and like we always do, and like you surely do. And, and, and we're going around doing our thing. We went to church in the evening, and, and then came home, and it was late. And I realized that I had not yet put Buster together. But, I mean, how hard can it be, right? I mean, it's just a hobby horse, a few springs. Well, I open up the box, and there's more than just a few springs in a couple pieces. There were, there were like a ton of parts to it. I thought, well, you know, I, I'm, I can do this. You know, I have, I, have a, I have a working mind. I can put this thing together. Um, but I was a little fuzzy, you know. I think maybe we had toasted or something. I'm not sure. And uh, it was late, and, and I wasn't really thinking clear. And I, I opened up the box, and I pulled out the instructions, and they were in Korean. <laughs> There wasn't a single picture on those little instructions to like put part A with part B. And so here I am, Christmas Eve, you know, one o'clock in the morning, trying desperately to put this hobby horse together. And I think, you know, the first time he was upside down and, and then, you know, it, it was a mess. But I eventually did get him together and maybe it was two or three in the morning and, and finally he's all together and he was so big we couldn't even wrap him so I just threw this big blanket over top of him. And in the morning, I remember my son came out and we yanked back the blanket and he saw him and he was so happy that he ran up and he kissed the horse right on the lips and then jumped on him and started riding. And he didn't even like the baseball mitt that I got him and I don't understand why. It's confusing, isn't it? When you don't really understand the instructions, things can be confusing. And so this lawyer, not really a lawyer, is he? This lawyer comes to Jesus. You shouldn't think barrister. You shouldn't think you know, prosecutor or defender or somebody like that, when you hear a lawyer, here's what you should think, biblical scholar. This man didn't teach at a law school, he would teach at a seminary. You know, perhaps a handsome fellow with, you know, glasses and, um, you know, that sort of thing. And, and, and a little goatee maybe. Even. And he's a, he's a religious instructor. That was kind of a joke. I thought you should have thought it was funny. And uh, he, he, comes in, um, he comes to Jesus and he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? I mean, just tell me, what are the instructions? And Jesus' reply to him is real simple, isn't it? How do you read it? How do you read the law? The law isn't, you know, the, those books on a, a, on a lawyer's shelf. Here's the law. Torah, Jesus would have said. How do you read the Bible? Tell me, what's in it? The man starts off just like he should. Shema Yisrael, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Chad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. And then he follows it up with Leviticus 19. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, he gets the first prize. He says the right answer. He should have said the right answer. The man has a little box on his hand. He has this little box and leather strap going all the way up to his elbow. He's got another little box on his, on his forehead. Anybody want to guess what's in these little boxes on his hands and his forehead? Leviticus chapter 19, Deuteronomy chapter 6, right there on his head, on his hand. It's not hard to get this one right. <laughs> you, you've got the crib sheet right there, fella. I would flunk somebody in my class if they tried that, right? And trust me, they tried it. So you, you have, he has this fellow who comes and he says, what do I have to do? Jesus says, what do you read? Oh, but here's the question, Jesus. Here's the million dollar question. I know who God is. I know what it means to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. But what about my neighbor? I mean, just exactly who is my neighbor? And we get this story. This story that only Luke records that we call the Good Samaritan. But no Jew, no first century Jew, would have ever said any Samaritan could be good. Jews and Samaritans hated one another. They hated each other with such a severe hatred that is difficult to explain. But Jesus says there was this certain man walking down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of thieves. Some people came by. You know, we just read the story a moment ago. He says, and then a certain Samaritan came by. Oh, oh, a certain Samaritan. Well, we know that the first fellow walking down the street must have been a Jew because he wasn't even mentioned. Of course he was Jewish. He was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. But then a Samaritan came by. And Jesus says, you know what? He showed some traits of what it means to define a neighbor. Well, this text really preaches itself. But since you paid me and I'm already here, I might as well just take a few, a little bit of, of observations from the text. I think the first thing that Jesus says is, you want to know how to define your neighbor? Look around you. Because a neighbor is close by. Notice that as they're walking down the road. Think about this. This man is going down the road. Some robbers come out from behind the, the rocks. They, they beat him up. This happens all the time on this road between Jerusalem and Jericho in the first century. It was known to be a place where, where thieves and, and brigands hung out. And, and they beat this man. They stripped him of all his clothes. They take his money. They leave him half dead. Half dead is the way that um, my mama used to promise that she was going to beat me when I was a little kid. I'm going to beat you. You were half dead. I'm not sure how far that is, but um, he was there. He was half dead. Maybe your mom and dad, didn't they threaten you like that too? I don't know. Anyway, he's half dead, laying on the side of the road, and along comes a priest. Perhaps a fellow in a robe. <laughs> he's coming down the road. He's a priest. And what does he do? He walks by, did you get it? You heard it, didn't you? On the other side. He puts distance between himself and the man who's been hurt. Well, of course he does. He's a priest. The man might be dead. Besides that, he's naked. He can be contaminated. He can be ceremonially unclean. He couldn't do his job if he came near and touched this man. Everyone understands that. A Levite, the same thing. But not the Samaritan. The Samaritan comes near. He draws near. He saw the man. I think a neighbor is someone who's close by. 
You don't have to go out hunting for neighbors. You can look around the room right now. Look, there's all kinds of neighbors right here. You can drive down the street and see all kinds of neighbors and go to Acme and find neighbors there too, can't you? You don't have to look for neighbors. They're right there in front of you. You can see them. You know, um, one day when I was 17, I was working in the grocery store, and I was a cashier. And it was a great place to meet all kinds of people. But one day, the most beautiful young girl I'd ever seen in my life walked in, 17 years old. And I asked her, would you like your change back? And she said, yes. And I said, well, what will you give me for it? And she says, I don't know. What do you want? And I said, I just want your name. And she said, well, my name's Abby. You never know who you might meet in the grocery store, huh? (laughs) Yes. Neighbors are close by. And some of them are really great people to meet. Churches, airplanes. You ever met somebody on an airplane? Suddenly they become your neighbor. You know, I I probably have flown more than I... I, uh, Some people, and I don't know, less than others. But I always meet somebody on an airplane who wants to talk. And I'm usually on like a 15-hour flight. And they want to talk the whole time, you know? (laughs) And I find out all kinds of stuff about them. I'm really glad when a soldier sits down because they never want to talk. They're, they just want to sleep. You know, They've, They're tired and worn out. And I'm like, oh, thank you. You're a good neighbor. Uh, but you know, you meet all kinds of neighbors, don't you? You don't have to avoid them. You don't have to look for them. They're just right there in front of you. And sometimes neighbors are those people who are in need. All kinds of needs in this guy's life, right? He's beaten, half dead, lost his clothes and his money. Has no hope, and someone stumbles along him who can help, who provides for his need. Someone sees him, he sees him in need, and he gives him what he needs. Uh, you know, there are lots of ways that we can find people who are in need around us, can't we? I mean, there are people who are very close by who are in, living in poverty. Uh, you know, there's a group from this church who once a month goes down and, and feeds some people in Akron who need a meal. There's ways in which you can help the needy. Do you know, and this is not a, 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 a way to um, overly manipulate your emotions, but to, to be honest with you, that today, this day, this beautiful day, we'll have a great time, probably whatever you'll do, drive or go play or golf or whatever after you leave here, have a great day, and you should. But by the time we go to sleep tonight, all of us, we should remember that 20,000 people died today of starvation or starvation-related diseases. And those 20,000 people are all under the age of 18. There are mothers and fathers who are putting their little children into graves today. And they're going to do it tomorrow and the next day and 140,000 people in the end of the week and half a million people by the end of the month. And it'll happen next month and the next month and the next. There are people in need close by and all over the planet. But it's not just money. It's not just... Uh, illnesses and disease, there are people who are dying of loneliness and would love some companionship. They would long for just a, a kind word or somebody to stop by at a nursing home or just in their home. There are people who are in all sorts of need. And we don't have to look far for them. We don't have to look around the world or, or on television or somewhere. They can be right around the corner from our homes. A neighbor is often somebody who's close by, who's right in front of us, And sometimes it's someone who's in need. But here's the real clincher. A neighbor is also someone who is the other. Someone who's not us. Not like us. 
And, and we know who us are. <laughs> I don't even know how to get that, that, that verb agreement in there. But we know who, who we are. We know who's a part of the in crowd here. Our kind of people. But what about the people who are not our kind of people? You know, there's all kinds of um, ways in which people in the world today divide themselves. We've heard of nations going through ethnic cleansing. Remember in Rwanda, the difference between Hutsis and Tutus, or I think that's right, they, they had these differences and they weren't even, they weren't even ethnic, really. It was, it was about a, a, just a, a different demographic. All sorts of ways in which we divide ourselves from one another. The color of our skin, the type of language. Can I meddle just a little bit? Just, just a little. I promise I'll back off. But for just a moment, pull your feet underneath the pews. We can divide ourselves by the political parties that we choose. And we can decide not to love one another because they're not from the right party. Maybe the Green Party. I don't know. <laughs> Whoever they are. And we can say, you know, um, it, Samaritans and Jews had a deep and bitter hatred of one another. And Jesus says a certain Samaritan happened by. It was much more than a Republican-Democrat divide. It was much more than uh, a, a whatever kind of divide that you can think of in terms of politics or, or nationality or whatever. This was a most bitter... The Samaritans and the Jews hated each other so much the Jews went in and blew up their temple. And in response, the Samaritans dug up dead bodies from graveyards and snuck into the temple in Jerusalem and threw them all over the place as to defile the temple. Because you can't come into contact with a corpse. So they threw them all over the place inside the temple to defile it. They hated each other with a deep and bitter hatred. And Jesus says, if you're going to be a neighbor, you don't just have to love those who are in front of you. You don't just love those who are in need. But you have to love those who are not like you. Christmas Eve, 1992, I'm putting together that buster, the, the hobby horse. And if only I had had some instructions. We have some instructions, don't we? We have some instructions on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And how do we exemplify that in the world? We love our neighbor just like ourselves. Oh, but who's our neighbor? You have the word. Tell me, Jesus says. How do you read it? Amen.